Hello and welcome once again to the Nashi Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we're here for episode 13.5, or our first installment of what we're going to start, we're going to be calling Beyond Nashi, which is we're going to do shorter episodes occasionally, these little .5 episodes, mm-hmm. where we talk about uh, Spanish horror from the uh, possibly 60s, but definitely 1970s, Yep, that has some kind of tangential relationship to Paul Nashi and his work. Um, tonight, what you're going to hear from us is a discussion of the Leon Klamowski film, I Hate My Body. Which I think we've mentioned in probably four or five past Nashi casts. We've kind of yeah. been throwing, you know, we've mentioned this film so much, so, you know, we've gotten probably other people's anticipation up for it as well as ours was for, for seeing it, so. It's a, it's a strange little film, and it mm-hmm. does definitely have a lot of connections to Paul Nashi. So we're finally going to talk about it. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not going through it in detail. Certainly not, not scene by it, scene. Yeah. We're no, no spoilers. Well, at least very very few spoilers if we can yeah. manage to keep ourselves from spoiling any of it. <laughs> but we'll talk about this in, uh, briefly, talk about our reactions to it. Uh, I had already seen the movie. Troy's, uh, Troy was a first-timer for right. this one. So uh, this should be fairly interesting to talk about. Now, uh, having just completed our first year of Nashi casts, we're a little little thrilled to be able to, to announce a very surprising thing, mm-hmm. which is... We are actually up for an award. Yeah, we sure are. We found this out last night. They're just a perfect timing to do this episode. True. And uh, what this is is uh, the uh, ninth annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Uh, we are nominated in the category of best. Is it best audio? Best horror audio, I believe. Best horror yeah. audio. We should know that, Jimmy. Well, uh, essentially, it used to be called the uh, best podcast, mm-hmm. but since essentially. A lot of these types of things are not uh, necessarily podcasts. They're kind of different things of that type. Uh, just giving it the the generic kind of overarching title of best horror audio is probably a good idea because, like I say, a lot of these things there are podcasts. But by calling it best horror audio, you're able to kind of catch a bunch of different things all together, right? And uh, Rattle them off. I'm very, I'm, I'm very impressed. We, we're an amazing company. Are, I can't believe, I can't some, believe some, we got nominated with a yeah, lot of these some things. Folks. We've been listening to ourselves and fan of, been fans of for quite some time. Oh yeah, uh, I mean the past few years, of course, Remorg Radio has won, which is just a, a great show. Uh, wouldn't necessarily call it a podcast, but it's definitely kind of podcast like. Uh, great, great show from uh, Remorg Radio. The you know horror news and. Love the interviews, and also really get a kick out of uh, the reviews from, uh, from feedback and whoever he has sitting there across the table from him. <laughs> Even when I disagree with those guys, I, I absolutely love their discussions of films. Uh, also, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite shows these days, Mail Order Zombie, yeah, which is just uh, which is just a blast. Of course, longtime favorite Dead Pit Dead Pit mm-hmm. Radio, mm-hmm. DeadPit.com is just an amazing thing. Yeah. Those, those guys from Kentucky know what they're doing. The B movie cast, which is something yeah. that I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, B movie cast is a lot of fun too. It's, they just yeah. they hit on so many t- different types mm-hmm. and genres mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. films that it's just mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to get. Plus, they have a, an ongoing discussion of the outer limits, and you just can't go wrong with that, as far as I'm concerned. And then there's some some crap called Bloody Pit of Rod. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be that would be us. That's what that would we're be us. As, the, the Bloody Pit of Rod. And, uh, uh, yeah, with 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 the Nashi casts. And uh, I have to say, we eventually are going to have to do that fan page on Facebook one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. We just to get suggested. just to get more eyes trained upon us. But we're very excited yeah. to have been nominated. I don't really with a feel as strong as, who as strong as this one. Yeah. We're not. You know, we 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 don't really think we'll win, but. Wow, 
really amazing to get noticed, really amazing to actually be nominated, and it's just... It will not hurt our feelings if you vote for us, that's for sure. Oh, However, no, no, no. you should if you are a classic horror or horror fan in general, whether you vote for us or not, uh, you should definitely go and vote in the Rondo Awards. It's uh, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, www.rondoaward.com. And, uh, you know, uh, Rod and I can tell you for, for people of our particular uh, mindset, uh, you know, you can have your Oscars and Grammys and all that. I mean, we'll take, yeah. we'd take a Rondo any day, wouldn't we? I'd love to have one of those bald little suckers <laughs> to sit on my shelf. Oh man, I would I would go out of my way to dust that at least mm-hmm. once a month. Mm-hmm. And trust me, for me that's a lot. So, um, oh man, I'm I, I'm just I couldn't be more thrilled. I'm I'm just yeah. really kind of a bit shocked and surprised. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna soldier on, keep doing our show the way we've been doing it. I think uh, I think we've been getting better and better at this the more we do it i mean if you do something long enough eventually you become proficient so although you, although you did there. you did caution you might be a little off your game tonight cuz you're not feeling 100% well yeah i'm not at 100% tonight but i'm hoping that that won't interfere with the show i'm uh, my head feels like it's mm-hmm. stuffed with cotton mm-hmm. and um I've got a constant tickle at the back of my throat. Uh, I will I will attempt to keep the coughing to a minimum by by uh, drugging myself into oblivion with caffeine and or alcohol and anything else I can get my hands on. And if you should lapse into a coma, I have a female brain ready to transplant into yours. Sorry, I kicked off a coughing fit. You you you've made me you made me cough, you bastard. But oh my, we'll uh, we'll definitely do our best. To keep up the hard work and the hopefully good work that we've been doing. Thanks to everyone, whoever. The thanks especially to the people who recommended that we end up on the ballot because we definitely did not enter our own names, but it didn't displease us when other people did. So yeah, that's yeah. That's so nice thanks to everybody. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so the film tonight. First I hate off, my body. Yes. So the film is from 1974. In a few more days. You'll be up and around, up and out of bed. You've been in bed long enough already, don't you think? Hmm. Hmm. Up. Here we go. Then this terrible nightmare will be over. Adolf! Adolf! What happened? I was kissed. I was kissed. She kissed me here. So quickly. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the operation has been a success. What was just a simple theory has finally been proved. <laughs> What's the matter? She can't go around provoking a guy like she did. What's she think I'm made of? My operation has been a success. Greatest operation in the history of modern medicine. That was exactly what was needed to prove my theory was correct and possible. Operation? They've operated on me. There is only one detail missing. very important detail. You must now see the results. All righty then. 
I Hate My Body, 1974. Directed by Leon Klamowski, he co-wrote the script as well, supposedly. Interesting cast of Spanish horror films, but the lead role taken by a British actor. Right. We'll talk about her in a while. She had a very interesting career. Mm. Okay, basically I Hate My Body is a very odd gender switch film. Mm -hmm. Think Freaky Friday shot through a Spanish horror canon splatting against an exploitation (laughs) wall. Yeah. And and that is what you have. Yeah. And Um, and not done for laughs. No, no, no. Not done for laughs at all. As a matter of fact... Uh, I don't want to give. I, I will not give away the ending, but it does have a downbeat ending. Yeah. Well, and it's, one, a, it's a '70s film. I mean, come on, <laughs> what else could it have? <laughs> oh, good point. It wasn't until it, re, it really wasn't until the 1980s when suddenly every movie had to have a, have a happy ending, yeah. or it's just not going to sell on the sticks. <laughs> yeah. All right, what we have here is the story of a man. His name is Ernest Knoll, and he is uh, is he an engineer or an architect. Now I can't remember. He's an engineer. He's an engineer. He's the, as the film opens. We see that he's out carousing with uh, a Apparently couple of people he works with, yeah, other employees, and a couple of secret and, and yeah. a couple of secretaries. And it's very obvious that he's a lady killer, man. You know, man's man, or at least is willing, more than willing to take advantage of the help, yeah. i.e., the secretaries. Well, the first words you hear are one of his buddies that he's out there with. So basically, says, "Hey, you want to trade? Want to trade girlfriends or trade? You know, <laughs> trade women?" And the women trade. are just all giggly about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, he ends up going, uh, heading out that night, uh, obviously driving drunk, mm-hmm. and has a car accident, and the woman he's with is killed, and so is he, but not before, he's, he doesn't die qu- He doesn't die fast enough, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, a, a, a mad scientist doctor gets <laughs> his hands on him, and in this film, unlike uh, Fury of the Wolfman, they're not afraid to point out that this guy is a Nazi mad scientist. Yeah, they just pretty much say it right out there. Well, yeah, I know. Well, that's what I love is that his the Nazi mad scientist, uh, his, his uh, main nurse or his only nurse really mm-hmm. is uh, his wife too. Yeah, and she's the one who's like spilling all this information out there. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, to me, if she, the way she was talking, it just been like I would have been at least checking around the room, make sure no one. <laughs> Noticed that um, we, we didn't really talk about taking a brain out of. Uh, you know. well, not, well, not only that. I mean, she. I mean, it, there was no way to to, to misunderstand. <laughs> you know where this guy did yeah. the the original work that he's about to you know about to go back into now that he has this opportunity to basically take yeah. this guy's brain out of his body. What's funny is they're almost another version of the uh, the couple from uh, uh, Crimson or you know, the man uh, the man with the severed head that we did a yeah. few yeah. guys back the the husband and wife the doctor and, and, and his wife. Uh, team uh who also he was also whacked you know a little bit but you know he was also a little crazy although wasn't a nazi but uh, was definitely crazy definitely crazy so he uh goaded i would have to admit mm-hmm. <laughs> goaded by his wife slash nurse mm-hmm. does remove the the brain from this guy who's obviously going to die in a few hours no matter what they do and <laughs> transplants his brain into the body of a rather attractive woman mm-hmm. this is the character uh, known, known as Lita, yeah, known as Lita mm-hmm. who is played by the British actress uh, Alexandra Bastido. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce her name. Yeah, I, I looked it up and tried to get right. it right. Uh, British actress who uh, goes full tilt boogie into this film. There's no, uh, she doesn't hold back. She does a, yeah, she, yeah, does, she does really good as good. A, yeah. she, she, she does a good job. I have a few nits to pick, but I'll get to those in a minute. 
But I like the fact that whoever dubbed her voice, and I'm I'm assuming it's probably not hers. I mean, who knows? But I like the fact that whoever did dub her voice is a woman, but has a deeper, huskier voice. I mean, that was well. It was good casting on that, as far as the, the vocal casting there. It Very true. Fit. I don't think she did her own voice. I doubt over. it. Very I don't few know, people I don't, did. In I don't think she films, dubbed yeah. herself. But I will yeah. say this: I now have gone and sought out a few other things that she's been in, mm-hmm. and it's not too far from her actual voice. Really. Um, what she was best known for uh, at the time was she was the female lead in a strange little British series, TV series from the late 60s called The Champions. Hmm. Uh, three main characters, she was the female. And it's such a bizarre show. I had heard of it, but until I realized who she was and started mm-hmm. searching around in her background, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't go, I had never seen any of them, so I mm-hmm. sought them out. Mm-hmm. I would describe the champions as a kind of cross between uh, Lost Horizon and the X Men. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wow. Wow. truly, truly bizarre hmm. because these three uh, these three characters are British Secret Service secret agents mm-hmm. who, in the, the the very first episode, are shot down after a successful uh, foray into uh, Red China to steal some information. Hmm. Remember, this is during the Cold War, folks. It's, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they're they're shot down in crash land. They're in the uh, the Himalayas, trying to get mm-hmm. over them into India. Mm-hmm. And uh, the crash probably would have killed them all, except that they are taken in by this by this uh, well hidden city of people who appear to be somewhat timeless, a- aka Shangri La. They don't yeah. call they don't call it that. As yeah. a matter of fact, they never quite name it. At least not in the first episode or two. Right. Okay. And then. Um, they're healed surgically, and uh, when they come to, they're back in the wreckage of the plane. But three days have gone by, and essentially, the the three characters are given superhuman strength. Uh, they have mm-hmm. they have a, a limited telepathic connection with each other, mm-hmm. so it's essentially super powered people who are now British spies. And from the episodes I've seen, they de- they never divulge this particular information mm-hmm. to their to their higher ups. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was the female lead of that. And uh, did did quite a number of other things as well. Um, most interesting, she's in uh, one of the few Peter Cushing films from the seventies. I still I still haven't watched The Ghoul. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which was directed by Freddie Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, she did she did uh, she did a movie with Jose Larraz too later called oh, Stigma. Okay, which I haven't watched yet either. What's wild is that she apparently had a very small non-speaking role in Batman Begins just a few years. Yes, ago. I did see that on her on her lineup there. Yeah, on her, her filmography. Yeah, that's really interesting. But um, <laughs> at any rate, this uh, let's just call him what he was. As the movie goes on, you realize the guy was really kind of a a, a male chauvinist scumbag. He was a yeah, but I thought that they could have exa- they could they they didn't make it quite as out and out. They didn't. I mean, obviously, he's definitely a. I mean, yeah. He, I mean, I think. He's, he's, I think in some ways it was trying to make him see this way, just uh, making him more of a just a a typical insensitive kind of callous male businessman, as opposed to just an out. I mean, he wasn't an extreme scumbag. Oh I mean, no, I no, think, no, And I think that there would have been a tendency. I mean, had this thing yeah. ever been made in Hollywood, you know, not that Hollywood even today would do a film like this unless it was a comedy, you know, you know but, uh, yeah. but they basically they would have they would they would make him so exaggerated, you know. To whereas I think in this case he came off as more just basically a guy who's. I mean, this is how his society works, and he's, you know, he's because he's male. Because he's male, he can use his skills to just basically the doors are open for him that they're not open for, you know, and and not open for women, and and exploits it and takes advantage of it. And and, uh, you're right, he does exploit it and take advantage of it. And uh, the thing is, uh, the reason I would lean more toward 
feeling a little more harsh toward him mm-hmm. is that this this night out with you know some random oh, secretary oh, sure, is yeah. obviously not something that's he doesn't that, that that is a rare occurrence. I mean, he does this pretty frequently. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, he he is what he is, and so mm-hmm. you place that brain inside a, a very attractive female body. body and uh, hilarity, hilarity ensues. Yeah, right. no, I, I, actually not. <laughs> no. There are some. There are some amusing moments in the film, but yeah. they're not. Uh, this. This is. This thing is played not at all for comedy. Yeah, so. and I mean, again, it's. It's. You know, I really think that even today, you know, if 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 they were to attempt something like this in this country, you know, it would have to. When they have done this sort of thing, this gender change thing, it's always in the case. It's always in the form of a comedy. Oh, it's always freaky. Fun. And, and you know, and maybe, yeah. maybe they manage to say a couple of things about genders. You know, a couple of. Uh, Maybe they make a couple of profound points, but in general, it's all done for laughs. They would not know how to approach something like this, you know, in this kind of serious vein. No. And so, which is, makes it even more amazing that this got made not only in the 70s, but in a, you know, got made in, in, in Spain. They would attempt this and also do it in really a very thoughtful way, you know, they do it with a lot of, yeah, you know. Uh, as much as, I mean, as much exploitation as this film, film. Exactly. There's a lot of it, there's a lot yeah. of exploitation, but I think that it's, it's, I, I was impressed by the fact that it's not as exploitation heavy. As I was expecting it to be, it's more it serious minded. Yeah. It has, yeah. it's, it's it's a good deal more serious minded than you actually think it's going exactly. to be. Yeah, yeah. Which is a bit of a surprise going in. I mean, if if um, when I first encountered this film, I honestly thought it would be even more ridiculously Me too. exploited. Me too. Uh, but it's it's not. It's got a it's got a few interesting things on its mind, and it makes me wish that we had the opportunity to, to quiz Klamowski himself just to find out, you know, what made you, mm-hmm. what, what made you drawn to this story? What, yeah. what pulled you to it? I, I know in our, in our typical way, we've already begun our commentary without really even getting to the synopsis. So well, the, they should, uh, our listeners know by now that this is our, this is our way of working. This is, this is our way of screwing things up. Yeah. But, but we can say basically that, uh, yeah, he, she is not happy necessarily to wake up, uh, um, the, the, the guy, um, the doctor. No, no, the... Uh, oh, Ernest. Ernest is not happy to wake up to find his brain has been put in the body of a woman. No. Um, he's also not happy that the, that, that the ex-Nazi doctor mm-hmm. uh, basically just thinks this is the greatest thing in the world and he's going to essentially parade him around as proof of the, of the validity of his bizarre theories mm-hmm. and is essentially going to be a, you know, a guinea pig up on a stage and he doesn't like that very much either, so he escapes, leaves... And of course, in the process, kills the poor mad scientist doctor. But and, and believe me, all of this happens in the first fifteen minutes yeah. of the film, folks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're not giving away much because this is just the beginning of the story. But but from there, he, uh, he attempts to go out into the world as a man, very literally trapped mm-hmm. inside a female's body. Tries to establish himself as first what he was before. Attempts mm-hmm. to get his old job. Mm-hmm. Finds that he's really not going to be able to manage to do that. Discovers that what the woman he's now he now essentially is what her job was before he really doesn't want because her old boss is uh, a dirty old man who essentially pawed her all the time and who's played by um, uh, Eduardo Calvo uh, who yep. was as uh, another connection to Nashi films he was in uh, uh, Curse of the Devil uh, Vengeance of the Mummy Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll and uh, and then outside of Nashi films he was also in Cutthroats Nine. All those, you know, the the many the many connections. Of yes, mm-hmm. but yes, he plays the the uh, lecherous uh, former boss. Uh, yep. And her reaction is great when he grabs her and, and, and pulls her down onto his 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 lap. Is just the look on her her face. You know, I mean, she plays that part <laughs> great. You know, she just, you know, because again, you know, this is a guy that's never been used to being basically just pawed and, oh, yeah. and manhandled like this. And, you know? and that's and, the that's the thing is that although 
okay, we could, we could debate back and forth whether or not Ernest was an extreme scumbag, and I, I agree with you, he probably wasn't, but at the same time, this is the kind of thing that he never... He's on the never other side. He's, exactly. on the, he's on the other never, side now. Never to think about and this. As, about. He, as we see him after he yeah. escapes mm-hmm. and, and goes out of the world is trying to find a way to, 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 to exist, to earn, mm-hmm. you know, to have a job mm-hmm. and to have a life again, he keeps running into things that honestly just never occurred to him and would never have occurred to him right. until he's put in this position. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what I think makes a film more interesting than just pure exploitation film is I think there's a there's a definite awareness of the injustice of this on, on behalf of whoever did the story, you know, and, and there's a definite anger in this this film and, and you know, in the fact that, I mean, it's a humiliating scene where, you know, where she... Or he he as as now who's now Lita is is basically telling goes back to his former job and says look I knew Ernest and I'm a totally qualified engineer and again basically gets laughed at you know it's like yeah. there's no you know there's no way you know we're gonna let a woman be an engineer and I mean it's a very humiliating scene and it's it's it makes you angry to watch it. It's, well, I've got a question for you before we finish off the very brief synopsis. Uh, the something that should be pointed out and uh, something that will you'll probably get a, a sense of. I'll play a few clips from the movie during the podcast is mm-hmm. that. A, a fair amount of information is given with him doing a voiceover over a couple of scenes, kind of giving an internal his internal thoughts, not really an internal monologue, but just some thoughts as he is going through things and trying to figure out what he's going to do. And I, I, I love a particular uh, several of them are quite interesting mm-hmm. because most of them aren't over the top, but it's this slow dawning realization of a number of things, and I, I really enjoyed. That voiceover, there's a school of uh, mm-hmm. there's a school of cinematic thought that you know never use a voiceover unless you're just forced to. Mm-hmm. But I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. I think it's it's completely silly because quite often a well used form of voiceover can enhance the narrative and mm-hmm. give it a depth that. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. As much as I love film, film has certain limitations. Mm-hmm. You can only show so much before you have to. To, to flesh it out with a little bit of nuance. And I'm not just talking about weaknesses of a performance or an actor not being a particularly great actor or anything like yeah. that. I'm talking about the simple fact of communicating specific nuanced pieces of information, little details that mm. add to the narrative yeah. that a well-done voiceover can do. No, well, I'm not, I'm not going to hold this film up as like a great example of a voiceover. Right, right. But mm-hmm. the voiceover in this film really does work because this is a character who is two, you know, two very different mm-hmm. warring sets of emotions almost mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes the character very unpredictable. I mean, you never yeah. know what the character is going to do, and I think that's what keeps it interesting. To the, you know, you never know which side is going to win out, and then, you know, you get glimpses that Ernest, as a man, is realizing just how you know, unfair the system is to women, but then at other times, then, of course, the, the he, you know, the, the, the male side, and he does, the male side comes out, and, and you see yeah. this weird, uh, the, you know, the weird scene where he, 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 you know, he gets comeuppance on the female, where he oh, kind of, doctor, the doctor's uh, wife, yeah, you know, the doctor's wife, you know, is, uh, and, you know, and it is, uh, that's kind of interesting. But talking about narration, I mean, like, the classic example of that to me is, like, Blade Runner, which I think functions beautifully in both versions, you know. And I know that a lot of yeah. people, when the when the Ridley Scott's cut came out without the narration, most of the critics say, like, oh, it's so much better now without the annoying narration. I actually love the narration in the original Blade Runner, and I don't think it's bad at all. You know, I think it's a beautiful film in both versions. I think it works with the narration. I think it works without it. In Blade Runner, I, I, don't get me wrong, I love the film. Mm-hmm. I think the voiceover 
is good a lot of the time, and sometimes the the, the voiceover mm. in that film is unnecessary, and not mm. just unnecessary. I think sometimes mm. it's straining for something that mm. somebody in the editing room thought. You know, I don't know if we captured this. Maybe if we mm. overexplain. Yeah, I don't know. So, I didn't get that. I know that was a lot of people's complaint. Oh, they thought not, that, the, and I know often, that's why the voice. Often. And I know that's why the voiceover was put in there is because they thought the audience isn't going to understand this. You know, and so that's why they had to put it in there. But. You know, yeah. I mean, I I, I think I found it. I, I didn't have that reaction to it. I thought it was, you know, was 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 well was well written and. and oh, I, I, in yeah. general, I do like I I like about eighty five percent of the voiceover in Blade mm-hmm. Runner, but there is about fifteen percent of it where, mm-hmm. either through Harrison Ford's performance, where he some of it just comes off flat, mm-hmm. and also sometimes it's it's giving us information that's that's kind of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And it's never as if it's commenting. Why the hell are we talking about Blade Runner? Let's go on back. To, let's <laughs> well, get back well, to the original point. Is great though. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I totally agree with you that that narration is not something. I mean, narration can be used effectively. You know, it's not something yeah, that you just yeah. always have to avoid. You know, it's, it's. And I think in this film, you know, and hey, I eat my body. I agree with you. I think that it's. It actually gives very interesting insights. Yeah. To the character, or at least makes makes it even more gives it more depth to the character there. Well, now I will say that uh, the plot of the film is essentially. What what's strange about this movie is essentially this this film's plot. If you were to take out mm-hmm. the the body switching thing, the, mm-hmm. the the brain transplant aspect mm-hmm. of it, and just looked at the body of the film mm-hmm. as far as the story it tells is concerned, it really is just essentially the story of a woman trying to find her yeah. way in the world. Yeah, all the science fiction happens in the first five minutes, you know, and yeah. it never really. And and I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, it never is that one of the things that interesting to me is. It never really is addressed as I mean, once he gets past that first initial big leap of belief, you know, of the, as far as the whole brain transplant thing, from then on, it functions you're right, just as a human drama basically of a, just a very conflicted woman. And what's interesting is, is, is you know, never tells the, um, you know, they they never really address her situation anymore throughout the film as. And she never even refers to it when she's talking to people as you know she never uh, that I've had a, another brain put in my. Well, well, I don't think it, I don't think at first I think it's something that she has absolutely no int- or he yeah. slash she is has absolutely no intention. Well, because they're going to be talking. To, people think she's crazy, but I love the scene where she goes to the psychiatrist and tries to explain her problem. Yeah, without coming out and saying my without brain explaining is how this trying happened, to explain yeah. it, you know. And of course, he's not going to understand either. And she can, but she can't tell him the real thing that's going on. And I like that. It's never really, but the film never really becomes science fiction again after that first opening. No. Part there. Now, here's the thing: uh, the 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 film the film plays out with her uh, attempting to make her way, mm-hmm. then finally realizes that the only way she's ever going to be able to actually to actually live live a life that she she can really tolerate is to get her hands on the insurance money from Ernest's death, right? And uh, goes about making sure that she can do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we'll leave the plot synopsis, but I do want to discuss a number of things in the film. Mm-hmm. Before getting to an overall sense of what you thought about the movie, one of the most fascinating things to me about the movie, and it's just it's two points and they're kind of they're kind of connected, is that there's a sense of earnest within her body, mm-hmm. slowly becoming more and more comfortable with mm-hmm. his feminine body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to go too deeply into what may have been going on. Remember when this film was made? It was a big, was a big, you know, bra burning ERA, right? Uh, you know, trying to get the you know, Equal Rights Amendment, at least here in the states. I mean, mm-hmm. I know this is a Spanish-made film, but this mm-hmm. was a worldwide phenomenon, at least in, in Western civilization, Western culture, of women finally standing up and demanding some kind mm-hmm. of equal mm-hmm. equal pay and equal rights, and 
and the uh, the ability to 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 do what they wanted to instead of being subservient to men. Mm-hmm. And I think, in a strange way, one of the things they do, which is when she is placed in a position, sexual, a mm. sexually or sexualized position, mm. where um, it begins to get uncomfortable for him within the body. They do this amazing thing, which is they switch from it being yeah. the actress yeah. to it being the actor who played him at the beginning of the right. film in right. that same position and squirming and getting angry and, and stopping mm. the situation. Right. Uh, reinforcing the fact that he's not sure what to do because mm. he, yeah. in several instances, allows himself to essentially kind of follow, quote-unquote, his hormones right? Yeah, and do this, you know, get himself into this position before he realizes, wait a minute, oh my God, I can't. I, I, there's no way in the world I'm going to do this. I'm not going to have sex with a man, you know, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he's still a heterosexual, in his head, he's still a heterosexual male. Yeah. So he's really got a, 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 a it's, it's very interesting. What did and you think of And in the scenes him? with his former, with Lita's former roommate, which is played by Eva Leon, uh, um, he's, uh, again, the scene where he almost, where they almost have what visually would be... Be a lesbian tryst, yeah. But then at that too... He it doesn't feel right to him either, you know. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's all played home to that he can't make love to her as a man, and so I mean, really, it's almost know. as if he's unsure of yeah. how he would actually feel pleasure. Yeah, it's it, it's an odd, it's an odd thing because they don't dance around the aspect of mm-hmm. the sexuality of it or the physical act of sex, but what they're what they're aiming for and hitting most of the time is his confusion with what his natural sexual reactions are physically mm-hmm. and how he doesn't have them anymore. I mean, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the tackle. Right. So, sure, I mean, it's just sure. not going to, it's just not going to happen. And, and so a complete reevaluation mm-hmm. for him of what sex is, mm-hmm. is something he's got to eventually come to terms with. Yeah. But I wanted to know what you thought about the, about that cinematic, I guess, conceit of switching back and forth between the two actors in those situations. Do you, did, did, did you read it as, necessary or unnecessary did you like it or did you dislike it what did it say to you when you were watching this film did you did it did it take you out of the movie or just draw you in did you see it as an exploitive element or something that was needed to to push the narrative forward or yeah i i had to think about that too i mean i kind of i well what i what i felt about that it thought felt maybe uh i don't know that it was totally necessary you know um i i think but it certainly, I mean, it, it certainly jolts you, and I mean, it certainly yeah. is, you know. And I mean, I, I mean, it is an effective way of showing his discomfort, of showing his, you know, why it's repulsive the things that happen, you know, to him. Because, and I guess it gets across the the fact that in his own in his own mind, he still sees himself as a man, you know, even though he knows in a woman's body, his own picture of himself is 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 he imagines himself as a man that this is happening to. And uh, so, in that respect, I can see how maybe it's, you know, I didn't feel like, I mean, it certainly doesn't. You know, I didn't hate it, you know, but I guess I didn't necessarily think it was was a, 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 something that I thought was, like, you know, necessary to use, necessary to do. I can see what you're saying. Here's the thing. I like it mm-hmm. quite a bit because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a great visual mm-hmm. way to show, to show rather than tell. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing something in a voiceover, they mm-hmm. actually show you this... What, what what's going on? What's taking over right then is his revulsion, and the revulsion is only there because he's a guy, he's a heterosexual guy, and this is just not—he's not attracted to men. End of story. But what I thought, what I wish they had kind of done, and I'm wondering if uh, that may have been the original plan, is that that switching back and forth would have happened a good deal more at the beginning of the film, 
and then lessened and lessened as the movie went on to the point where they find, they would show mm, him yeah. in a sexual situation at near the end of the film and he, it never be anything other than the actress, the right. female. Because like you said, in so many other ways, he seems to be accepting the more the film goes on, like right. how he's going to have to live life and what he's going to have to try and do to actually get anywhere, uh-huh. you know, to actually, you know, uh, to be more than just somebody's secretary or, you know. The other thing that I was curious about and wanted to toss out to you is that having now watched the movie a couple or three times, mm-hmm. I noticed that another way... Not necessarily as clearly as it may have been intended, but in some very interesting way. And I may be jumping to some conclusions here to, to make to, to, to make the assumption that the filmmakers were, were, were trying to aim for this particular arc. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I noticed is that once he's in her body, with each sexual encounter or encounter that uh, in which she slash he is seen as a sexual being... Uh, there's almost over the course of the story because it takes place over a number of weeks, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a few months actually, and uh, there's a gradual movement through the natural progression of how young girls come to terms with their own sexuality. Mm-hmm. In other words, starts out with absolutely no, you know, sex. Sex is either something to the side because there are other mm-hmm. things that are that are preoccupying the person, like you know. Money, trying to get a job, mm, this, that, right. the other. And then slowly changing over the course of the film until, like I say, when you get to the final sexual scene of the movie, mm-hmm. they're not switching back and forth right. between the two. There's just that person there who's finally accepted whatever she is mm-hmm. or whatever he is. Mm-hmm. But, of course, by the, by, by the ending into it, to a large degree, it doesn't really matter. Right. But... The, uh, the the scene that pointed out to me that, wow, this, this seems like a whole lot like a teenage girl hmm. getting herself in over her head hmm. is when she uh, goes out and spends that uh, afternoon with the, the supervisor of the, the factory job she takes. Right, right. And she she goes out with him and they they eat and they uh, they dance that outside the pavilion and they, they ride around on motorcycles in the hills. Hmm. And then as soon as he makes a move on her sexually... It's all you, you can watch her face and her she realizes much like a lot of teenage girls realize at a certain point in their life, my God, he was just after me. Mm-hmm. He he just wants to paw me. He just yeah. he's just after me for sex. Yeah. And it's amazing to watch that scene and to and to watch this woman realize and she's a full grown woman. I mean, this is a woman in her twenties, mm-hmm. but this guy is still on a learning curve. He's on the same learning curve mm-hmm. that a teenage girl would be, which is hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. she was she was enjoying the attention, she was enjoying her life, and then suddenly this sex thing enters it, and she has that natural mm-hmm. reaction to, to someone who's just not ready for sex. Mm-hmm. Of course, in this mm-hmm. film, there's a weird reason for yeah, not right. being ready for sex. <laughs> yeah, but... And, yeah. you know, is repulsed mm-hmm. by it and pushes mm-hmm. it away and it just freaks out. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, I may be reading more into that arc mm-hmm. that I can see in the movie... Uh, it's not a it's not a, a nice smooth arc. It, it it moves and fits and starts. Yeah, yeah. But there's enough of things like like that in there that make me wonder. I noticed that one of the writers is someone named Solly. Mm-hmm. Solly Volodarsky or Water. Yeah, I can't read. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's a male or female. I don't know. Um, that might be something somebody can enlighten us on because I'm not. Uh... 
I'm not sure. I wondered that too. I wondered if it was because yeah, I did. I, I really do wonder about that. If that story was co-written by a woman, or if this was a story written totally by 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 men, it, it's you know would be interesting. I, I there's I a like there's that. a lot of sensitivity. To, yes, there is very much so to uh, the exploitative nature of gender gender relationships between men and women. The mm. the, the differences and, and mm. the the problems that come from just quite simply the differences alone and not mm. much else. Mm. And uh, I, I do kind of wonder if that, uh, if a woman had her hands on this mm. script, mm. and uh, I'd, I'd, like I say, I'd be really curious to to, to have been able to talk to Klamovsky to find out, you know, yeah. one way or the other, you know, why take on this project? Yeah, I mean, because what, yeah, I said if the if the anger and the indignation that comes through in the film, you know, yeah. was was strictly the the from the work of of male creators, then that's very, that is that is really interesting, you know, that is really. Uh, uh, that would be really impressive, you know, and really interesting. That because what you talked about this film coming out in the you know the seventies being such a time of with the sexual revolution and women's liberation and films you know, very much had a strong reaction to that, and a lot of the reaction was and it was an angry reaction to women, you know, oh, yeah. and, like, and and so there's such an escalation of rape in the seventies films. Yeah. At the same time that there is an escalation in films that you know that showed women empowered. You know, there was there was the reaction, you know, against against that, you know, and so the fact that this film doesn't exploit, I mean, it it's it it has exploitable elements and uh, and, and takes so, advantage of a number of it does. Let's, it let's does. not let's no, it not, definitely does. Let's not lie about but that. But if you were going does. into this film to be titillated or expecting it to be like a, a a really kinky film or something like that, that's not what it's after at all. Not, I mean, yeah, there's really no there's really not any sexual pleasure in this film. There's not any no, real like no. you know. There's not there's no there's no joy in in. The idea of like somebody, you know, suddenly like being able to to have a female body yeah. with a male mind or something like that. I mean, there's there's not it's not seen as a fun thing. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's yeah. This is not a film. This is not a sex film by any right, stretch of the right, imagination. Right. This is a film much more interested in some of the ideas it's mm. it's tossing out there than it is about uh, putting a lot of nudity on screen and being titillating. That's not to say that it isn't an entertaining film. But it's it's uh, it's head and it's harder in a different area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it wants to entertain you, but it also has got more than a, more than a few other things on its mind, and it mm-hmm. wants to, and it wants to bring those out. Mm-hmm. One more element that I'd like to like to mention, talking about um, how the film wants to set up Ernest as maybe not necessarily a a, <laughs> yeah. well, not necessarily a, a scumbag, but more of a male chauvinist or a guy who really before this happened never gave any thought to women at all right, right. is we learn uh, we learn what his pet name for his wife was yeah right uh, the pet name for his wife was booby and yeah. I found that I found that very telling either in point, that yeah. if he chose that name specifically mm-hmm. there's really only two there are really only two common yeah. uh, definitions of that word and word and one is of course a, a very childish slang term for Female breast for for breasts, right? The other being kind of an ins- uh, a childish insulting term for some you know a, a moron or someone you don't like, mm-hmm. and uh, neither of those terms. If that's your term of affection yeah, for yeah. your wife, yeah, that only the two of you know, that's either uh, a very insensitive jerk mm-hmm. or someone who is essentially well aware of using that word and, and really kind of looking down on her. And either way, it doesn't color him particularly yeah. well. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely in, in regards to how you view it, it's definitely Ernest is, is not a likable person. You know, it's like the, the question is, do you, you know, you, you know, whether you perceive him as being a, you know, whatever, a, a, a deliberately hurtful or malicious person or just basically just a totally oblivious, clueless 
you know, more, you know, idiot, you know, or just basically just, but I kind of, I guess my impression was more like he was just wandering through life basically without ever thinking, like you said, being thoughtless in yeah. what he said as far as women, his treatment of women and, and, and just having just no consideration for just being used to them as always being in this sort of subservient position. I would come, position, down, I would come you know? down to agreeing with you on that in general. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it's I think it's pretty clear through his actions once he finally realizes, okay, fine, this is my situation. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. use it to my best advantage. I think that in a lot of ways that was probably him reverting, reverting to the way he dealt with wor- the world in and general, life. Yeah, right, yeah. Before this switch happened, before the surgery happened, and so I think that's that's probably even more of a of a hint as to what kind mm-hmm. of guy he was before. Mm-hmm. Um, he's put in the position of being able to get away with something mm-hmm. because of information that really only a dead man is supposed mm-hmm. to have. Yeah, because the so. only really the only really feeling that we impression we ever get of who Lita was is basically in just the discussion she has really with her um, her roommate. Her roommate. Uh, yeah. And basically, and it sounds like she was a woman who basically, like her roommate, had just pretty much accepted, this is what you've got to do if you're going to get any kind of job. You've got to let them, you know, as a roommate puts it, you've got to let them grab your ass every now and then, you know. And it sounds like Lita was kind of, had sort of reached that point where she was at least accepting, uh, you know, that, that she was not, she didn't come across, obviously she was not a woman who was fighting, for for something or or necessarily no, like no. you know just uh so but that's about all the insight we get it all into who she was otherwise we don't ever this really know. Overall, what do you think of the movie? Oh, I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely, you know, thought it was very interesting. Uh, definitely very uh, engrossing film. Kept me in, you know, uh, it kept me uh, wondering what, you know, really wondering what was going to happen next. Although I did sort of the whole time, I'm kind of expecting it to just be a downbeat film or to come to a, a downbeat, you know. Well, your point about it being a film made in the 1970s is, is, well, is, is well taken. It's just, yeah, yeah, I would have been yeah. shocked. And I have to mention again, I have to be careful. What I say I don't want to give away the ending, but I, I do feel that. I sometimes wonder if the ending almost was the only way they could get the film made or get it uh, get it accepted, get it to, to, to get past it, the fact that it had to have some sort of conclusion like that as opposed to an upbeat ending. I know it's a really well, strange thing maybe, to say, but maybe. considering the... It's very, considering, it's very easy for me to imagine a happy ending for this film. Oh, well, I think, I, I think you hoped is... I mean, you certainly begin to care about it. I mean, you certainly you fulfill the anger of this character through the film... And just justifiable, and the fact that if you have yeah. feminist sensibilities, or if you you know if you if you if you believe in in, in, in strong women and, and 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 like stories of, of female independence and that sort of thing, because I think you do still view this character as a woman in a, in a lot of ways, oh, yeah. even if yeah. the fact that the, the the males, I mean, I think you so much come to accept this person as a woman, you know, that I think you're pulling for her. Um, you know, so so I think you feel the anger, and you you know you, you would love to see a happier conclusion. But like I said, in that particular made in the country it was, and in the time it was, uh, to be able to even get it approved and accepted that day, I wonder if they had to put the kind of ending that they did on it just to you know the uh, just to, it's 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 a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it's very easy for me to imagine a couple of variations on the ending that oh certainly it, it, yeah that are yeah. that are much more upbeat. But I'll be honest, I don't know. If they could have sold me on them, sure, sure. I was gonna say, would we would they have yeah. seen that believable? Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I've, um, I was wondering when when I sat down to rewatch this, I began to wonder what your reaction to this was going to be because not not because of uh, the type of film it is, but because of what you might end up expecting, mm-hmm. uh, given that given the, given its title. Given the the subject matter, and given the fact that it starts off with a mad scientist Nazi, yeah, 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 kind of because of the preposterousness of the initial setup, or just yeah. the outlandishness of it, 
uh, yeah, I mean, and and, I'll, and the fact that you know, and you had been good to not give away anything ahead of time. Yeah, I wanted spent, you to see it. As and I was, I was, and no, could, I, I was so. thoroughly pleased. I mean, I was not disappointed that it was not a crazy movie. You know, I was, okay. I was, I was yeah. not, I was, I was not disappointed that it, you know, it wasn't. That was actually a concern. I, have to I, was, admit, I was, I was, I was going expecting yeah. something like that and you don't get it no I didn't want another Fury yeah. of the Wolfman <laughs> I was you know <laughs> I was you know I'd, after being through one film where every you know every scene every, every like, single you know, scene what in the crazy, hell is yeah. happening here you know this is nuts you know oh, it's I like know, I was I actually quite happy that it was a straightforward as much as that kind of story can be it was actually a serious it had a story to tell it had a serious point to make right. and it had a serious story to tell and uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it because it was unexpected. I was expecting something more just nuts, you know. I was expecting something that would be more exploitable and just more probably something that would, you know, exploit the sexual aspects of it more or even something that might have been more broadly played, you know, even to comic effect. And, and, and so, yeah, I enjoyed the seriousness of the film. Cool, It's cool. a very mature film, uh, particularly to be... Uh, and I think it's great that Klamowski, it's amazing that, that he made something like that, you know, I think. I mean, he's a great... I mean, I, you know, we we... We preach him as a director, but I mean, it was it was nice that he made a, a film that's really not really a genre film, except for just the slight science fiction yeah. overtones from the in the early part of it. Well, uh, we talked about uh, some of the actors in the movie, and I mm. wanted to talk about a few more of them. I mean, mm. that is after all the reason we're we're doing this right. as a as a beyond Nashy a beyond Nashy podcast, mm-hmm. which is uh, I would like to point out that uh, uh, Alexandro Bastido, the uh, the actress who plays uh, the lead role, mm-hmm. she's British. Uh, apparently, she spoke a number of languages. Apparently, really a really bright mm-hmm. woman and did very well in school. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, she, besides the Champions that TV show, uh, she was in. Uh, she played. Uh, she played Mercola Karnstein in Blood's Blood Splatter. Bride, Bride. Yes, Blood Splatter. Which is uh, definitely cool. a, definitely a film that if I, if if you're listening to this podcast and have not seen the Blood Splattered Bride, I highly recommend it. It's uh, yeah. it may be a little slow pa- slow paced for some folks, mm. but well worth seeing. Uh, also, she t- she had a reoccurring role in the British TV series, absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I saw that, and I've seen that series. I'd have to, I'd, I'd, you know, I've seen all of it. Of course, the time I had no idea who she was, yeah, so I'd, I'd love to see it again and, and and see and see who she is in it. But uh, yeah. and strangely enough, she also apparently was the the female lead in uh, one of the very first made for HBO movies, uh, a western back in 1984 called really? Draw. Really? Yeah, wow. starred James Coburn and wow. Kirk Douglas. Huh? And I don't remember being. I I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh man, probably since the late 80s. Right. And I don't remember it being a particularly great movie, mm. but you know anything mm. with Kirk Douglas and James Coburn. Oh, sure, yeah. Pretty much got my time. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and sit down and go, okay, yeah, anytime now. But she's the female lead in it, so that's interesting. Apparently, she was. She apparently she was in Casino Royale, but then again, who wasn't in Casino Ro- Royale? Yeah, that, that, was the that, question. So in, it's, you know. yeah, in 1967, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, what the, the, they they took an entire year to shoot it with what, five, six four, four or five different directors. Different directors. Yeah. So if you, if you were a working actor anywhere in Europe, you probably had a scene in yeah. there somewhere. So <laughs> now the the fellow who played the Nazi doctor, Narciso Narciso Ibanez. Minta, Minta, mm-hmm. and I'm slaughtering his name. I and know. his name is even Adolfo. I thought that was great. It's like no, I, know, you know, I know that the character's like name is Adolfo. It's like, oh, and, and none of his coworkers are putting two into together. Wait a minute, Adolfo. Oh, he's, he's got a, a Nazi. Accent. Accent. Okay. <laughs> but uh, his uh, he he passed away in 2004. But uh, his only Nashy connection that I've been able to nail down is he played the professor in uh, Night of the Werewolf. Oh, uh, in, okay. 19, in 1981, he was the professor. I remember that character. I know who that character is. Wow, yeah. interesting. 
believe he's wheelchair bound. If I'm he not is. mistaken, he is, yeah. yeah, in in, in that film. Uh, so that's his that's his um, Nashy connection okay. there. Uh, Eva Leone, of course, of course yeah, well, as the roommate Mika. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, of course, in Blue Eyes, the Broken Doll. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also in a couple of other of my uh, of, of, of films of interest to me mm-hmm. uh, from the early seventies. She was in Autopsy, yeah, uh, with Mimsy Farmer, which is uh, a neat little film. Uh, in the eighties, she was in a couple or three Jess Franco movies uh, that wow. I actually have gotten. I actually get a kick out of both of these films. She was in uh, Golden Temple Amazons. Hmm. Which I can't call a good movie, <laughs> but I do enjoy it, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, well. And also, uh, she was in uh, Mansion of the Living Dead, which um, it's actually a pretty damned interesting film. Yeah, I've heard you mention that one before, yeah. too. I'd like it's to see not that one. To, I would never call it a great movie, but mm-hmm. man, I really get a kick out of Mansion of the Living Dead. And not just because there are four females in it that are nude the vast majority of the time. Um, oh come on! That is the main reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's like 50, that's at least fifty to sixty percent of the reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the the man who very briefly plays Ernest is another Spanish actor who, God save us, man! This guy was in uh, Ghost Galleon. He was really. He was, he was oh, in the third, no, no. third Blind Dead film. He's in Hunchback of the Morgue. He plays a police inspector in Hunchback of the Morgue. Oh, cool, cool. He's uh, in Klamowski's Vampires Night Orgy. Wow! And he played Dracula in Assignment Terror. Really? Oh. I'm not making this up. We'll definitely be getting around to that one at some point. Yeah. Manuel de Blas, I guess his name is. Man- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ma- uh, Ma- Manuel de Blas. Or Interesting. de Blas. Wow. Uh, yeah, he played uh, he played Dracula <laughs> in Assignment Terror, which cool. I, I'm not making that up. But what's great, well, the best thing as far as I'm concerned, he was the mayor in Slugs. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk about, you know, we might have to eventually do Slugs. Yeah. In a Beyond Nashy point five episode because I'd be up for that. Yeah. Slugs is one of the one of the greatest bad monster mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. of all time and, and he's the he's the mayor. He's the mayor in it. Mm-hmm. But um oh oh Eva Leon, by the way, she's in El Caminante as well. Oh cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of connections to the Paul Nashy films. Lots of connections. Uh, one more too is uh, Lita's father in the film is actually uh, played by uh, Louis Sidges, who uh, was in. Um, uh, he was in the uh, as far as his connection to Nashy, he was in uh, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. He was in Horror Rises from the Tomb. Oh wow! Uh, okay. He was in Vengeance of the Zombies, uh, and uh, beyond and outside of Nashy films, he was in the Dracula Saga, uh, the Vampire's Night Orgy, and Night of the Seagulls. So and so yeah. So he was in the fourth Blind Dead film. Yes, so he was. Yeah, the Blind Dead connection. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, one more too is the uh, Ernest. Yes, uh, Ernest Ernesto's or whatever his uh, uh, wife in this film. I hate my body is played by Maria Silva, who was in Curse, oh, yeah, of, Curse the Devil and also in Vengeance of the Mummy. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, she was. She was, uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, lots of lots uh, of nasty connections mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and a very interesting film. As we as we've no, as we've noted before. We haven't been able to see the Spanish-language version of this film yet. Uh, it's probably on its way to me right now, but it hasn't reached me yet. I suspect this movie was trimmed down a little bit, mm-hmm. because especially in the first half, it, it, it the narrative advances a little too quickly, mm-hmm. and I suspect it. Just looking at uh, the differences in running times, I'm, I'm suspecting that the English-language cut is five to eight minutes shorter 
than well the longer cut of the movie. I would say you know after you watch it, maybe in the next point five episode before we get into the next film, you know before we get into the film we're doing on that episode. If there's any real major differences, you might want to just throw them out there to let everybody know, or just or we can you know I, I we probably can talk about I probably will because my curiosity is really getting the better of yeah. Me, see if there's something. Know, see if it is yeah. you know if it, if it reveals any other layers or anything worth mentioning. You know as far as that certainly certainly I doubt anything uh, as substantial as the the discovery uh, the discoveries of various things like in the Night of the Howling Beast stuff where mm-hmm. you. You have an entire added scene that completely changes the di- dynamic of a, of a of a relationship. But I'll de- I'll, I'll definitely let uh, let everybody know once I get a look at the the Spanish version. Um, Maybe we'll find out that Ernesto really loves to wear cashmere sweaters. You know, like, <laughs> or Angora. Here Angora. Yeah, there you go. Angora. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Well then, folks, that's I hate my body. Seek it out. You can find the English language cut from uh, Something Weird video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we both recommend it. Uh, yes, definitely. With the warning that it's not what you're thinking it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, very, very well worth seeing if you're interested in probably Spanish not a film, horror. Probably not a film to get a bunch of, you know, 20, 20 people around with popcorn no, and, you know, no, get a big movie party. It's, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a natural mystery science theater evening of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a horror movie, but definitely, definitely worth seeing if you're yeah. interested in Spanish horror. Mm-hmm. So. I agree. As if I needed a doctor to tell me that I was different. I found myself in a bar for the same reason Ernest had taken me out that night. I couldn't stand men looking at me. I wanted to be them. Bastards. How I wanted a woman the way they did. All right, a quick dip into the mailbag. A mm-hmm. uh, few few thoughts. Uh, first, I want to get to something that Elena wrote us when she heard that we were going to cover I Hate My Body. This is kind of funny because it's obvious that she did not set out to write such a very long email to us, <laughs> but kind of got carried away and then apologizes for it. Yeah. She feels very strongly about the subject. And yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, she uh, she makes note that she is uh, she's currently in school. And is uh, prepping an, uh, an exam on literary criticism and feminist and other schools of thought. And so she started to write and it kind of got out of control. She refers to I Hate My Body. She says, I qu- quote, I hate my body as a strange work of art from Spain in the 70s. We cannot forget that Klamovsky was not a Spaniard but an Argentinian. And that could be connected to the, the interest he shows in this film about the psychoanalysis and gender theories. Also, he traveled a lot, so he could have been very critical about the situation women were having in Spain compared to other European countries, although the story is supposed to be taking place in Germany. But that could be a way of avoiding censorship, trying to suggest that he's not showing what is happening here, but in another country. We've seen that quite a bit. That would make sense, yeah. She goes on, she says, Okay, first, the idea of changing the brain from a male body to a female one to see what happens means that we're the witness of the eternal question many of the feminist and gender critics have been asking again and again. Is gender biological or social? What makes you a man or a woman? Here it's worked out that he's a man inside a woman's body, so he feels the same instincts he feels inside his man's body. He's attracted to all the he's attracted all the time to women, the nurse, the roommate, etc. But at the same time, it makes him feel weird, so he goes to consult a doctor, a kind of psychologist who does not understand him. Well, really, how could he? <laughs> yeah. Um, back to what she said. Um, uh, who does not understand him and thinks that that uh, he slash she is insane. <laughs> well, that could be linked to the weird theories of gender, where the analysis of behaviors. Uh, of those who have been considered weird throughout all, all of history. 
uh, homosexuals, bisexuals, mm-hmm. transsexuals, what is he or she? Yeah, I'm glad she brings that up because that's something we didn't discuss about is, is you know, the film, I'm sure, could easily be read as, as something saying something about homosexuality and saying something about those possible, you know, uh, sexual... Well, sexual, quote-unquote, deviants. Or, right, you know, but and, and really, once again, another thing that, that points out the... the uh, kind of this film, you know, uh, treading unusual waters because certainly, uh, although homosexual, homosexuals in the 70s, you know, it started to appear in film, very rarely did you find them when they weren't just outrageous stereotypes. You know? Oh, yeah. It was still a yeah. long time before, a long, long time before homosexuals would be anything but outrageous stereotypes in films. And, uh, yeah. and, and so, once again, for this film to have come out at the year it did and to portray a story that could be that could, could be, be seen as, a, as that yeah that you could at least use to analyze certain aspects of that you know is is uh, is once again that's that's pretty impressive i think so anyway yeah. going on uh yeah b- back to elena she says secondly the situation of women is perfectly reflected uh i mean those days and in spain on one hand we have the wife the suffering one in charge of the children in the house and on the other the single and lover uh, these two are the basic stereotypes shown. The first is the angel, the model to follow, and the second one is the evil, the model to avoid. The husbands cannot be faithful. They need lovers, especially the secretaries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah here we are following a stereotype that is still around these days. Being unfaithful made them feel more macho, and always the women are seen as sexual objects. They couldn't do what they want. They couldn't choose the men they want. It's the, men, it's the man who's the one in charge. They couldn't say no. Women's opinion didn't matter. We're talking about the times of women not being able to take money from a bank without the father or husband's permission. Sometimes, where a woman was working was something. Ba- Sometimes, when a woman was someone who well, was working woman, she was yeah, it was like so a, a working scene. woman was essentially seen as as yeah, it was seen as a bad thing. Women were not qualified workers. There were times in which women were set to study in university and ordered and in order to find a good husband. That's the reason they went to school, was to find a husband. Yeah. Uh, and there were special degrees for them, such as languages and literature, and that's the best they could do, apart from getting married, was to become a secretary. I still remember when I was a child and people asked me what I wanted to be when I grow old, my grandmother, without giving me time to answer the question, said, she'd be a secretary of a very important man. That's the best thing to be. Of course, I don't have anything against secretaries, but it's not the best job you could have, so obviously I'm not a secretary nowadays. Good for you, Elena. Good for you, dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally I totally see what she's saying there. And you know, something else, too, is uh, just talking about the film industry itself, and, and I know that it's, it's kind of become, uh, when you read about like the Italian film industry, it almost seems like you get the impression that it was sort of a given that uh, the actresses slept with the producer, you know? It's like that's basically, yeah. like, it seems like, yeah. okay, if you're an actress and you're going to be in this film, that's pretty much just... You know, it's pretty much just a, a, a part. It's probably in the maybe even in the contract. I don't know, but I mean, you almost get the impression that it's that given that <coughs> if you're going to be an actress in films, you know, sleep with the producer. And I wonder, you know, what's well, the old casting couch? Yeah, exactly. And, and and you make makes you wonder if it was the same thing in in Spain. It wouldn't surprise me if if the Spanish industry oh, functioned no. along the same along the same lines. Wouldn't wouldn't, you know. wouldn't surprise me in the least. Uh, back to her back to her email. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to highlight the conversation at the factory. Uh, men's attitudes towards women is summed up best here. They are described as beings wanting only sex, and also they are saying that they don't realize women also like mm-hmm. sex. We cannot forget how dildos were invented. Uh, and by the way, folks, if you thought this was going to be a, a family show, my apologies. Yeah, cover the kids' ears. I know you're all sitting around like with the old radio shows, like yeah, you know, sorry, you know, all the family sorry. gathered around to hear our podcast. But uh... this is another one I'll have to mark as explicit. <laughs> uh, back to her, back to what she said. We cannot forget how dildos were invented and what for. 
They were made and sold in Freud's time as the best remedy against hysteria, which was an illness women could only suffer. Only women could suffer. And they say that after a session with the women and the dildo, they felt better. <laughs> they never realized that what those women were experiencing were orgasms. And yeah, of course, they felt better. <laughs> now, I meant to do a little research but I uh, about the history of dildos, but I have to be honest with you, my fingers froze up every time I went to type that phrase <laughs> into a search engine. Yeah, yeah. Knowing yeah, it that, just, it, knowing that as soon as I typed in history of dildos... People who bullied me when I was six were going to show up at the door and just laugh at me. Ah, <laughs> so my, my apologies, but uh, I would not. Uh, I would not think that she's probably far off the bean. No, no, I think it, it's, 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 it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, again, we go. We've talked about this before in past uh, episodes, not too long ago. You know, is that that whole idea that that. Uh, and once again, I think we probably see the parallels, and it's probably in both Italian and Spanish cultures. The males is the idea that. You know, once you once you become my wife and ha- and and start having my children, you can no longer be an object of you can no longer be a sexual you can no longer be an object of sexual desire for me. Yeah. And so I have to have another woman as my object of sexual desire. But at the same time, you of course never had sexual desire in the first place because you're a woman. Because you're a woman. So this it doesn't matter to yeah. you. This is what you were made for. You know. And and. But I'm a man. Yeah. Of course, I've got to go have sex. You know? Yeah. And 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 let's 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 be honest. I mean, while these are extremes with these kind of attitudes, I mean, we still got a long way to go in this country because those oh, attitudes okay. are definitely boiling under the surface here in in, in you know in America. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's like, I mean, you can definitely see it. You don't, come you, out you don't have like to. Just, you don't have to scratch the surface very deep. The very yeah. well. Well, here in America, it's more the idea. Of, I mean, in general, I mean, it's 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 a, you know, in general, you're not really supposed to enjoy sex, regardless what se- what, <laughs> what sex you are, whatever gender you are. But uh, uh, but, but definitely, definitely, women are even in this country are still not expected to are really not expected to enjoy sex. No, you know? no, not. And at I'll all. say too something else. I'm gonna say too, and and it's like, and I think we and. I don't remember from I Hate My Body if it's really touched on that much, if there's evidence of it or not, but uh, um, I don't really think that in that one it comes out as much. But one of the things that I find really depressing about women's struggles and feminism is not not so much what they have to face against men, it's what they face from other women. That's the most depressing part to me is because women can yeah. be so hard on other women and can be the biggest obstacles. You know, the you know it's it's the way other women view the way women women view each other uh, with so much distrust and so much and it's all this kind of uh, you know they want so much the favor of men that women are so easily turned against each other and that's always you know depressing Very to true. me is the fact Very that true. you know is how much they stand in. You know, I mean, how how little how often women well, can't look to other women for unity or can't look for support when they're trying to be independent. It, it's odd that we're talking about a film that you would on first blush just think of as an exploitation film. With with a really bizarre mm. central conceit, but mm. it it does bring to, it does bring up all of these ideas, and it, it, I always love it when a film of this type can make you start thinking in oh, along, yeah, these, along these lines. Very definitely, anything that brings these these subjects up in an entertaining way or in a way that you don't mm-hmm. expect, any, right. any way you can slide that kind of thing into people's thought mm-hmm. processes mm-hmm. and get them to thinking a little deeper about it. Yeah. I think I think it's fantastic. But uh, once again, thanks, Elena. Um, I didn't read out her, her, her entire thesis. I mean, email. But uh, <laughs> we look forward to seeing the uh, the full book when it's published. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, but mark, mark me down for a copy. By the way, I do want to say Elena also, uh, uh, and not on one of our emails here, but I think on Facebook, uh, she did clear up something from uh, Fear of the Wolfman. Is uh, it is oh, actually that's true? It she did she did confirm that the opening line by the mad scientist uh, 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 Dr. Ilona, and that is she is saying that we so so it's obvious that we can create a human cyborg, not a human zebra. But 
Which is good to know. It doesn't. It only still makes her make, a little less insane, but yeah. still insane. Well, it still doesn't make any. It doesn't make any any more sense. No, it doesn't at well, all. Well, and like but, I said, you know, I thought at first, I thought because I thought it was like, you know, they can't be saying zebra. And I thought maybe they are saying seaboard, meaning cyborg. But then, when right, they, right, we talked about that. Possibility. That was in the English dub. But then, even when the Spanish version translated it as zebra, I was like, okay, apparently they are saying zebra. But she did confirm that no, they're actually saying cyborg. So uh, that. Well, I'm wondering if the subtitle version we saw was done by someone who was literally throwing his hands up in the air because he couldn't dope out what, what word that, what, what that I, I word was. Probably it. And was just essentially defaulting <laughs> to what the English dub had yeah. used, going, well, maybe they knew what yeah. the hell they were talking about. But, yeah bottom, line, yeah, but the bottom line is, if your professor wears shades and talks about creating a human cyborg, she still should be watched. So, <laughs> yes, still, yes. <laughs> and if she talks about trying to make a human-zebra-cyborg merger, yeah. that's even worse, yeah. so you might want to run for the hills. Uh, let's go to another couple okay. of emails. From another female uh, female listener here, and yeah, so it's, yeah. uh, Elena's getting more company all the time, and it's really nice to see we're getting more female listeners. And that's that's. Uh, I, th- that's I think that since the, the 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 lead of this particular film was a very beautiful British woman, I think we should just keep this whole female email thing going. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and uh, here's what she says, uh, and she signs her name as Via Wolf. Uh, so she says, "I'm a I'm a female Nashiholic." And proud to be since 2000. I might be 26 and stupid, as my great uncles and great aunts like to say, <laughs> but addicted to Paul. But addicted to Paul Nashi. She sounds brilliant to me. Actually. She sounds great to me. She says, "Here's a secret. Nashi Musk is a powerful thing." <laughs> <laughs> there, the Nashi Musk. There are a few of us out there scattered but growing. I've always said it was Nashi's wife who was the most incredible woman ever, allowing him to get away with all he did on screen. Yes, we got to get yeah, no a kidding. shout out to Elvira. She was obviously a wonderful woman. But truly, truly, I, I love the. We've been holding this one back because this cracked us up the first time we read it. But yeah, Nashi Musk is a wonderful, uh, wonderful term. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Just, and, and my biggest fear is 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 that Nashi Musk, if, if males are susceptible to that as well as females, you know, it's like <laughs> maybe all this time we've been responding to Nashi Musk and we never realized it, you know. To, it may be it may be the reason that we love his films so much and yeah. we're so attracted to, to <laughs> so, so attracted to him as a as a creative artist. That yeah. the, the the real reason we're sitting here doing you know month after month a podcast about it is that really we're just lured in by the Nashi Musk. Nashi Musk, I tell you, I, I, Musk for me, you know, little, little we'll picture of a I'm werewolf thinking. on the cover. I was going to say. Uh, we, Dan, Dan, if you're listening, we, we'll count on you to come up with our label for that. Uh, because, it, but I guarantee, jo- from Jovan, yeah, I guarantee you, you know, to be sold along with Barnett Cognac, you know, which really does exist. Hey, right? hey, it's uh, we're on Valentine's Day week. If uh, guys, if you're looking for. Uh, you know, or, or women, if you're looking for the perfect gift for your man, I give him a, some Barnett cognac and some Nashi Musk, and he'll be set. <laughs> <laughs> he'll smell good, and he'll smell he'll smell sexy. Yeah, and he'll get drunk quick. You'll have to fight the urge to shoot him with silver bullets. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but, but the beauty of it is, is if he, if he, if he if he turns into a werewolf, suddenly you are going mm-hmm. to be a crack shot. So yeah, that's, that's true. If anyone ever figures out how to buy a bottle Nashi Musk, uh, believe me, uh, it will it will move off the shelves because every man will want it. Uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll keep us sane. <laughs> okay, uh, to move away from the women for a second, we've been exchanging emails with Brad, mm-hmm. who's a, a fan of the show, and uh, most recently he wrote to uh, thank us for reading his email on the podcast. And it's you know, no no need to be honored, Brad. We're just mm-hmm. uh, we're just glad to be getting emails from a bunch of people. Yeah, we love it. Uh, he says, "I cannot wait to surprise Elizabeth with it." Uh, when he gets home, when, when when she gets home, that is uh, the fact that his email was read out on the podcast. Apparently, he and his wife listened to it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are the best. I'm very excited to hear that you are doing. I hate my body on a point five podcast. 
I hope it means that the Nashy cast fellows will be doing other films outside of Nashies because, like I said, the chemistry is great. I also scored Vampire Circus on Blu-ray for Christmas and saw it for the first time. Yeah. Oh, lucky man. What a film. I am also going to get the Deep Red Blu-ray. Oh, That's man. very exciting. That will be awesome. Uh, one last note for you guys. I scored the Horror Express DVD today, the good one. I have the crappy public domain copy that's hard to see, and you guys mentioned it quite a bit, and so it was time to upgrade. Well, speaking of that, um, he, you know, he's probably gonna, <laughs> he's probably gonna groan when we tell him this, but there's an upgrade. You'll need an upgrade to your upgrade uh, coming soon from, uh, I think Severin Films is doing it. Oh uh, no, um, no, no, it's I believe it's Mondo Macabro. Oh, is it Mondo Macabro? Um, there's a there's a new version of yeah, and, and 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 really the reason we're holding back. I mean, obviously Horror Express, we've mentioned it so many times. Our Nashi cast is one we both love, and and we'll certainly look forward to doing. But we're holding back until. There's supposed to, you know, suppose there's supposed to be a new uh, Blu-ray. I mean, excuse me, I don't know Blu-ray. God, that'd be wonderful. But no, a, a new DVD of it coming out sometime this year, and we're expecting it to be even better than the, uh, the what's been previously considered the best the, version. The, the, out, the, so. the, the great, the great version, the best version right now available is the Euroshot collection, right. the yeah. image image DVD, yeah. which is a great DVD. It's a great one. Yeah, but. The fact that uh, somebody's coming out with another version that's rumored that, that the rumors are flying thick and fast that it's got some really great extras on it and it'll look even better than the image disc. Hey, that's great. That's wonderful. I've I've watched my my uh, Euroshock DVD half hundred times, so I'm more than glad to upgrade. And also, it is very exciting that uh, a couple of Argento films are coming to Region One Blu-ray. Um, Deep Red, which is probably my favorite Argento film. And uh, Inferno, the uh, second of the three mothers films, which is just a mind-bendingly fun film. Really glad to, uh, really glad to, uh, uh, to get those on Blu-ray, especially Deep Red. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Brad uh, wrote us then a little later. Says I'm currently riding in my truck on my way to Texas, listening to the Panic Beats podcast, which I've been saving for just this occasion. I bought a used copy of the Euroshock version of Horror Express. Yeah, yeah. and it, that's what he's talking about. Uh, and yeah, and he was talking about as we point out, Horror Rises from the Tomb. It's the same. Uh, uh, that he learned from us that it was the same guy that did the makeup for Horror Rises from the Tomb did the makeup for uh, uh, Horror Express. And when you see the way the, the undead, the zombies, and I look in both films, it's very obvious. Um, he says, uh, "It's very glad to hear that when the Nashi well runs dry, it says, surely a virile guy like Paul never went dry. He <laughs> 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 says, you will move on to other films. You guys have a great podcast. I'd hate to see it end. In closing, I'd like to put everyone's mind to ease and tell you that my Valentine's Day copy of Werewolf Shadow has shipped. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Brad's uh, amazing wife, Elizabeth, I think, gave him all these. Uh, yeah, gave, gave him a bunch of Paul Nashi Nashi, uh, Yeah, that's, wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. Hey, I, I, every, every Christmas, I always try to give somebody the gift of Nashi. Yeah, I gave several people. Uh, I think I gave uh, at least two people Hunchback of the Morgue this Christmas. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's... Cool, cool, cool. I gave, I gave somebody uh, Mark of the Werewolf, a.k.a. Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you got to give the gift of Nashi. you got to mm-hmm. spread... Now we just, should just say we're, we're spreading the musk. We're spreading the musk. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Okay, the, uh, l- let's let's draw a line in the sand here yeah, because we, we don't want this ep- we don't want this episode to be too long. It's a point five episode, so we'll draw a line in the sand there and get to some more emails in the next regular episode. Mm-hmm. I did want to say one more thing is that another thing that Elena uh, clear clarified for us on uh, Facebook is uh, after hearing our Fury of the Wolfman, she did mention uh, a couple of uh, instances of a female werewolf that had been on the screen. Oh, in earlier movies. That's and right. I don't write off. I don't. I should have written them down and had in front of me. I'm afraid I don't in front of me. But I was. But I, I that did put my mind at ease because I was thinking somewhere out there there had to have been one before Fury of the Wolfman. But I do still contend that it's the first female zombie werewolf. <laughs> <coughs> female zombie werewolf that's 
you know, you, you, you could be right there. I hadn't thought about that. But apparently there was at least one previous female vampire, uh, I think, in Cry the Werewolf. You mean female, female Werewolf, yeah. And, and female, yes, female, Cry the Werewolf. That Cry, it, Cry the Werewolf from 44. Yeah. And I have to be honest, I think I've seen that movie, but I haven't seen it in for years and years mm. and years. And it's, man, it's completely escaping me now. Yeah, so thanks, Elena, for keeping that info coming there. But, um... But before we wrap this episode completely up, we want to make note that uh, next the next regular episode, which will be out in a couple of weeks, is our in-depth covering of Hunchback of the Morgue, mm-hmm. uh, one of my one of my favorite Nashy films, mm-hmm. and one that is available on a, uh, a domestic DVD. Although I will not stretch the term "good" yeah. DVD too far, because well, we'll discuss that at length because yeah. it that DVD has a lot of drawbacks. Yep. But we'll be doing Hunchback of the Morgue next as our regular, our next regular episode, mm-hmm. and as our next Beyond Nashy point five episode, we'll be covering a very strange film that neither of us have seen. Yes, yet. this is a first, folks. It's the first film. Now we've seen some films that you hadn't seen maybe in so long that it was almost like seeing it new yeah, again. Yeah. But Fury, this Fury was almost like having seen it for the first time. But so. this will be the first time that we're doing something that neither one of us have seen, and we're continuing the Klamowski love here, Leon Klamowski love. We're going to do another nineteen uh, seventies Leon Klamowski film. This one is called. Well, the the title we're going to watch it under is "The Strange Loves of the Vampire." Mm-hmm. Not sure how much of an English release it had. I'm not even sure if the version I have is either subtitled or in or dubbed. Uh, not sure yet. Yeah. But it looked interesting. Mm-hmm. It's got a few Nashy connections beyond just Klamovsky. Right. And so that's gonna be our next point five episode, our next Beyond Nashy episode. So Strange Loves of the Vampire up after Hunchback of the Morgue. Right. So for those for those keeping track and wanting to play along. <laughs> Once again, the Beyond Nashy uh, podcasts are not uh, are not spoiler heavy. Much like this one, we're just going to discuss the film kind of at an angle and try not to ruin it for anybody because these are kind of hard to seek out. They're not easily easily findable. So uh, I think our conclusion tonight with "I Hate My Body" is definitely seek it out. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely, definitely. If if you're interested in these types of films, if you're a Spanish horror fan, like I say, it's not a horror movie, so right. be be sure you're aware of that. Uh, but it does have a, a, a good number of exploitable elements. It just takes it in a more serious and, in a lot of ways, more interesting direction. Yeah. So um, I think that'll wrap it up. Yep. Hope everybody enjoyed this little episode. Remember um, to go to the Rondo Awards and vote. Uh, whether you vote for us or not, uh, go and vote. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you vote for us. I mean, in all honesty, we'll I find don't you think, if you don't. But <laughs> I don't. I don't think either of us are expecting to win. That's not. That's not really our aim. We're just. We're just really thrilled to have been nominated. Yeah, no kidding. And you know, I hope Quite I don't. Send, yeah, I know it. It's 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 an amazing thing. It really is. And great shout out to Dave Colton for running this. It's nine years going Ooh. now. He does a great job with it. He. Uh, Man, that's a lot of work he does. Yes, it is it's a lot of work. I'm, I'm glad to shake that man's hands yeah. every year. Just he really to, tries to run a fair, and, and you know, it's it's not easy running something like that because you, oh always, God, you no. know, I mean, he's certainly he's certainly you know gotten in the middle of several controversies, and I think he's handled himself great. He tries to run a real fair, fair uh, uh, awards there. He does a fantastic job, and it's uh, I'm I'm glad it, I I still am kind of stunned that it's been around for nine years, but. Uh-huh. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can drop us a line at nashycast at gmail.com. Be sure to let us know if uh, you don't want your email read out as part of the show uh, or if you only want certain things read out. Just let us know. We're more than willing to to keep certain details under wraps, especially if you're a covert operative in some other foreign land. And the nude photos you send us will not be shown. We'll keep those during ourselves. Oh, no, no, no. Those those don't go back out on the Internet. Those get printed off and pasted up on my wall. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see you again in a few weeks for Hunchback of the Morgue I am Rod Barnett I'm Troy Gwynn go watch some Spanish horror folks <laughs>
dungeons for me. 